There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. LMFM Podcasts, brought to you with Carrickmore Cross Credit Union, where a student loan can help you finance your further education. Call to Carrickmore Cross Credit Union on Neil Street or CarrickmoreCrossCU.ie. Friday morning, uh, the 17th of May. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. The Minister for Justice says uh, that he's met with uh, the Garda Commissioner four times in recent weeks. He's also met with uh, the British Deputy Prime Minister, the Secretary of State for Northern Ireland, the PSNI Chief Constable as well uh, in relation to the theft of ATMs. As a result, he's decided to designate an armed support unit to Cavan to bolster the armed guard response available in Donegal and Louth for combating the theft of ATMs. The issue was raised yesterday in the Dáil in the context of challenging uh, the police in terms of uh, policing uh, the border counties, uh, the armed guards, uh, the armed gangsters and indeed the drugs, the violence and the serious crime, not to mention the fear that people live with. Charlie Flanagan was responding to Fianna Fáil's Justice Spokesperson Jim O'Callaghan who also asked about the ongoing criminal gang feud in Drogheda. Uh, I am concerned and I know that the people of Drogheda are concerned that insufficient resources were put in to policing in Drogheda and this has allowed this dangerous feud to escalate. And I want to know from you, Minister, what additional resources have been supplied to date by government and is it your intention to keep those resources there? And what other measures do you propose in order to resolve this very serious criminal feud in that town? I join with the Deputy in, uh, in condemning uh, unequivocally the criminal activity in Drogheda Um, I have visited the town of Drogheda on a number of occasions in recent months to meet with the Gardaí involved in tackling um, what is a feud, um, including a visit two weeks ago with the Garda Commissioner Harris. Uh, I've been briefed by the Commissioner about the dedicated policing operation, Operation Stratus, that's in place in Drogheda and specifically targets this ongoing, highly volatile situation. Operation Stratus consists of high-visibility patrols and checkpoints, days of action, covert policing initiatives, targeting specific parties that are involved in the feud. The operations are supplemented by personnel from the Regional Armed Support Unit, the Drugs Unit and the Divisional Road Policing Unit and have resulted in the seizure of considerable amounts of cash and firearms and controlled drugs. I'm informed that a number of arrests took place last weekend as part of Operation Stratus. On Friday, Gardaí investigating the ongoing criminality in Drogheda attended the scene of a stolen burnt-out car. 
The follow-up investigation led to three males being arrested and charged in relation to this incident. On Sunday, Gardaí searched the house in the Hillview area of Drogheda town. During the course of the search, Gardaí recovered quantities of cocaine and cannabis herb, other paraphernalia including weighing equipment and documentation was also seized. I'm informed that during the follow-up operation, a person was arrested and is currently detained for questioning under the Criminal Justice Act in 1984. Uh, I welcome the recent announcement by the Garda Commission that an additional 25 members of Angarda Shiakana will be allocated to Drogheda, adding to the existing Garda strength of around 120 members. I also wish to reassure the local community in Drogheda that there are specialised regional armed support units based in the northern region at Dundalk. Uh, and Balishan. Members of these units are highly trained and equipped with a variety of non-lethal and lethal weapons. They perform high visibility armed checkpoints and patrols throughout the region and support and supplement the National Emergency Response Units which has also been deployed to, uh, to Drogheda. Minister Charlie Flanagan uh, speaking in uh, the Dáil yesterday about uh, the lethal and non-lethal weapons uh, Guardia are using in this region to tackle crime not just in Drogheda, but as mentioned earlier, for other reasons as well. Uh, he was responding uh, to Fianna Fáil's uh, spokesperson on Justice, Jim O'Callaghan. Declan Brannock is a Fianna Fáil TD in Louth and joins us down. The accusation put to the Minister yesterday would appear to be that whilst, as he outlined there, the government is responding now, the Gardaí are responding now, uh, that a lot more should have been done a long time ago. Uh, I fully support what you've just said, uh, Michael. Uh, I raised the issue of the lawlessness, particularly in Drogheda, back last uh, early June, in fact, just almost 12 months ago, and particularly how volatile people were and how uh, it was going to get out of control. Uh, that was based on, obviously, information I had on on people who were being harassed and intimidated and the threats that existed. Uh, and it did take the minister uh, a long period of time. In fact, I think it was November when he, as he said himself, visited Drogheda. He politicised it then. He even politicised it when he visited uh, there recently. Um, I wrote to the Garda Commissioner uh, back uh, last November uh, requesting that he would meet the Joint Policing Committees and all uh, uh, Dáil deputies and local politicians uh, uh, through the Joint Policing Committee. I didn't even get a response uh, from the uh, uh, um, the Commissioner's office mm. in relation to that request. Uh, Jim O'Callaghan is perfectly right. Yes, it was a slow response. It took uh, a long period of time. And in fact, we don't even have the, the we won't have the guards, the additional guards till June, which of course we all welcome. Uh, in fact, a lot of people are focusing on on 25 for Drogheda, which is correct, but uh, Dundalk is getting a for the five. And I welcome that because uh, the overall uh, guard of figures uh, in uh, our Louth particularly um, is somewhere of the order of 338 uh, in total across uh, the the three districts, uh, R.D. Drogheda and Dundalk. And, and the Minister confirmed yesterday that these uh, 30 posts are permanent posts. Ab- absolutely, and that they will be here to stay, which mm. I think was was an issue that a lot of people, particularly in the Drogheda region, had. But you must remember, uh, Michael, here that 
the feud in Drogheda is not just in Drogheda, it's also in the dock, not to the same extent. Uh, and uh, Garda numbers in our uh, area, believe it or not, in the RD area are down 17% mm. because obviously they've concentrated and focused on, on, on additional Garda in Drogheda, which is correct. But indeed, uh, prior to the announcement of these 30 uh, additional uh, Garda Shikana, the fact that the loud token numbers were slightly down uh, on on uh, as of the 18th of May uh, this year, um, down in excess of 1%. Mm-hmm. I know people would say that's, it's, it's, that's a small figure. And it's not just in Dundalk, though. I mean, we've uh, seen the drug seizure in Gormanston, and we listened to a, a debate recently uh, that uh, was a, a, an issue raised by yourself, Thomas Byrne, and Fergus O'Dowd in the Dáil. And so the minister seemed reluctant to talk about anything other than Drogheda, despite uh, the uh, appeals from the local TDs that this issue extended beyond the boundaries of Drogheda. And as I understand it, the feud in Drogheda is actually alive and violent in Dundalk. We've had a couple of shootings in Dundalk recently, shots fired at houses, and at least one of those was connected to the Drogheda feud, was it not? Uh, absolutely, and uh, in the case of the one in Dundalk was mistake, mistaken identity, the house that was actually uh, petrol bombed uh, was not the intended target, and uh, I've spoken to the family concerned there, indeed, as I did the family who were petrol bombed in Drogheda, and that is a similar situation and one of regret. I think the issue here for us all, and I keep saying this, is that what is happening in Loud is a microcosm of what is happening right across our country, indeed, right across our county. Uh, and uh, Christy Mangan would have clearly. Uh, said that last week uh, at the Joint Policing Committee meeting in Dunlear. He said we're going to lose a generation. It's not, he, he specifically said it's Drogheda, Dundalk, mm. but every town and village has been impacted. This feud uh, that everybody is focused on, and rightly so, because it's so terrible what's going on and frightening for the people uh, in Drogheda, uh, we need to realise, and he said he said himself, that if we don't deal with the drugs issue, we're going to lose a generation of young people. But and it, I, mm-hmm. would, I would echo that. I think we we have an epidemic, uh, even in our towns and villages. Uh, and it's not just the drugs issue. Uh, and it's not just... Drogheda or Dundalk or Gormanston for that matter if you're walking down the main street of Kells and fellas are robbing ATMs uh, well that's a, a serious threat to your safety uh, and Jim O'Callaghan was also asking the Minister yesterday about putting tracking devices on uh, these uh, machines uh, and uh, the Minister said that he, he's meeting with uh, the banking industry, uh, the construction industry and, and Garda Siakana but he, he didn't want to go into the details of that for operational reasons. Yes, uh, my understanding is that some of these machines actually do have tracking devices on them, but I suppose uh, the key here is not uh, is, is to try and prevent them from taking the first place. Uh, your listeners might like to know, Michael, that uh, when this space of, I think, 17 ATM thefts mm. is absolutely shocking, it's not surprising. In fact, the surprise is that it has taken so long for this particular crime uh, to reach our shores. Uh, I think an interesting figure here is that in Euro- European countries have seen a massive increase in these attacks on bank machines. Uh, in fact, uh, year on year, uh, it has been up 27%. In, in 2017, there were 3,584 reported incidents of ATM machines been stolen uh, with a figure of 31 million been taken. Indeed, last year, 
last year's figure, those 2070s last year's, it was 4,549 incidents involving 36 million. And while, while we probably feel shocked in relation to the use of mm. diggers, and of course they should be properly locked up, they're not an easy machine to, to drive, these thugs and gangs uh, uh, haven't taken, thank God, to, to what's happening in England, believe it or not, where, the, where people are using um, gas canisters and indeed solid explosives, solid explosives uh, to remove uh, the cash. Indeed, um, there's over a thousand ATMs machines in the UK uh, stolen last year using that sort of activity. And indeed, somebody died, uh, mm. uh, uh, trying to uh, blow one of them up in England. Um, look at the issue of the tracking devices certainly I think is a no brainer. Uh, the, the issue of 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 um, uh, in, in, obviously ensuring uh, that whatever monies if this these machines are opened is not usable as a result of of, of using days or whatever there has to be some method to deter them and I think we did get an assurance that, that both the PSA PSNI and the Garda Chicano are working proactively uh, to try and um, lessen uh, the number of these but when you see what happened for example yeah. in Kells the use of the homemade mm. spikes uh, to, you know, to, to deter the Garda from reaching the scene the fact that the two machines were so close to one another obviously these guys saw that opportunity uh, but the, the interesting thing about the tracking devices Michael uh, uh, and I think it's important again that your listeners who would say this is a no-brainer apparently there is massive technology available that can block uh, out uh, these tracking devices so the criminals are always one step ahead but you know the figures that have been taken in these there's no doubt uh, it's, it's reckoned that over 200,000 uh, in, in cash has been taken from these machines every time it happens but, well, What about the issue of an unarmed police force is that a, a fanciful idea in this day and age and one that belongs to a, an Ireland long past at this stage because now we're talking about armed guardy as the minister put it guardy armed with lethal and non-lethal weapons in Donegal in Cavan in Louth I, I mean if you have them in small counties like that, surely we should uh, recognise the fact that we have an armed force at this stage. Uh, well, to a large degree, we have uh, uh, the plain uh, clothes Garda Shikana and the armed support unit as evidence of that. But I think, Michael, there's a strong reluctance uh, to um, what we call the peacekeepers. The word Shikana and Garda Shikana was set up as the keepers of the peace. You're probably correct uh, mm. in saying this, uh, this whole issue of uh, de- de- how we deter these, you know, Tugs, for want of a better word, uh, and and the use of technology uh, to me is terribly important. But the, the one issue that you can't take from uh, deterring any form of crime, and of course the the right of our citizens to be able to walk uh, freely down our streets uh, unhindered, um, is the issue of resources. And uh, I think. It's welcome that the, the, the 30 guards are coming pound. Mm. And people have welcomed the armed guards to the streets. But do you think people will tire of seeing policemen uh, with lethal weapons at their disposal? I think the Irish public uh, uh, are probably getting frustrated in this. Uh, these guys who the guards know or who, who, who they are, they, they know them by name, but bringing them to book 
is is the difficulty. I, I firmly believe that uh, the powers of the chief superintendent, uh, as we had in the past, that he should be able uh, and the, the law should allow him to go into court, uh, name these guys and lock them up. Uh, I think that's the, the only way we will bring it to book. Uh, I, for one, in relation to the issue of armed guards, I don't support it, but I do believe, I do believe that we could proactively and effectively um, use uh, backup, uh, and I'm not talking about an armed state, I'm talking about uh, deployment of uh, some of our of, of our, our armed forces uh, in village halls uh, and in communities where at least they're there as a deterrent and uh, indeed uh, not, not using them on the streets, mm. but that they're there as backup to the guards and particularly that people are very conscious uh, that there is additional backup in communities uh, if the resources are not sufficient. Is it that complicated? I, I know Jim O'Callaghan was asking the minister not so long ago that uh, the people involved in this should be marked by the Gardaí with uh, the deployment of uh, the additional resources uh, and that really when they get up in the morning there's a police car outside uh, of the door uh, and when they go to the shop the car follows them or uh, an officer follows them as the case may be uh, and that they eventually tire of what they're doing or they get caught for what they're doing. Uh, yes, uh, there's merit in that, but you have to remember uh, that the ordinary day-to-day policing uh, that is uh, needed, we, we have uh, disorderly conduct mm. is continuing and in the increased public order uh, and all but when, the, when, when you the know, activities the guards But when you know the people involved, why, 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 why not do that? Why not put that amount of pressure on well, them? I mean, it's been done before. It was done it following was done the... Yeah, it was done following the killing of Veronica Guerin, and it's a well-known tactic that actually works for the Gardaí. And I mean, we're talking about people getting shot up in the M1 retail park. We're talking about people getting shot in Hardman's Gardens. We're talking about people getting shot down at the Donamede shopping centre. I I agree with you, Michael. Desperate times, I've said said, uh, quite publicly, require desperate measures. And I firmly believe that in order to bring this to book, the type of Things that you've just said are needed. I have mentioned uh, other examples, for example, deploying our army, not present, but as a backup if, if it's necessary. But the reality here is that unless these guys, mm. you can follow them and they, they, they will... When you see the armed police okay, going around, you wonder if it's a police state. You don't want a, a military state. No, not at all. No, mm. and I'm not suggesting that mm. for one minute. But what I am saying here is these guys, unless they're locked up, will move somewhere else. When the heat goes on them, they will... Uh, eventually, uh, when they see that they're not able to move, particularly in in the in if the activities that you referred to have been done by the guards, I have no doubt they are being tracked. Uh, but they will move somewhere else. These people need to be taken off our streets. And I go back to the issue of the special powers that many people remember the guard Shikhan had uh, in relation to subversive activities in this country. I, I'm a firm believer. 99% of, of our, or more than 99% mm. of our public are decent law-abiding citizens who deserve to live in peace and, and not to be in fear on their streets. Uh, these, mm. one, this 1% need to be named, shamed and locked up. And I believe that the powers need to be given to the chief superintendent in the region to uh, put these guys behind bars and then it'll all stop. Mm. But, 
or, 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 or else, or else we, or, or else we'll grow accustomed to living with it. Uh, and yes. there, there, there is a, a fear of that. I mean, if you look at what happened during the week, uh, there was a report on uh, the front page of the Irish Daily Mirror of a man getting shot at at the Donamede shopping centre, an attempted murder at quarter past five in the evening or something. Unbelievable stuff. Uh, it was reported, obviously, on the front page of the Mirror. We spoke to Niall O'Connor, the reporter. We also heard then that there were shots fired at a house in Drogheda that night. Uh, then uh, there was also a car burnt out and an arson attack all on the same night. But uh, very little reporting of it elsewhere. Uh, Michael, um, I keep a very close eye on what is happening and I think there is a growing sense of lawlessness and it's palpable on our streets. Mm. I mean, but we're becoming immune to it because it's so commonplace. Yeah, you've mentioned incidents there. I mean, the incident of the teenager in Waterford being attacked with acid mm. is, is leaving, leaving, you know, a prime example of, 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 of lawlessness. Mm. It's, but it's news because it doesn't happen that often or it doesn't happen that often in Watford. People are getting shot all the time in Drogheda, it seems. Uh, it, it, Michael, uh, your listeners and, and the people I'm meeting are very well aware of what's going on. They're being left terrorised in their own communities and people are mm. disillusioned with the response from government in that mm. they, they you know, they, they don't see it proactive. We get in and, and I suppose the question yeah, people no. locally have is, if it's not happening in Port Leash, is the minister aware? Well, uh, I think he's acutely aware now in Louth. Uh, I do firmly believe that uh, uh, the police commissioner, um, Drew Harris, needs to come and meet the local politicians. Mm. Uh, we have a local elections next week, and I have reiterated his need to come and meet the representatives of the people and they are the local councillors and the Oireachtas uh, members to discuss what is going to increase and the focus will be somewhere else when it's finished in okay. All right. If you well, look, if, if, Michael, if you look at the evidence in England, we have uh, situations in England where we have specialists, really, really specialist schools who, who have had to literally take these children no. off the streets. And you must remember, and, and, and it's a very, very important issue, that these thugs are using young people as young as less. Some of them are very young themselves. Yeah, all right. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, listen, we have to, we have to leave it there. We, we will be speaking with you. well aware of what is needed, and I do believe it's action, not words. All right, listen, thanks uh, for joining us, as always. Uh, that's Fianna Fáil TD for Louth, Declan Brannock. Michael Reed on LMFM. Sinead Kavanagh, the chair of uh, the Beaufort College Parents Council, joins us now to tell us a, a little bit more about uh, the protest we've been hearing about uh, this morning. Good morning to you, Sinead, and uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, there's uh, about 54 students in the college from Winetown, uh, and from next year or from next term, they won't have a, a bus service. Is that right? Good morning, Michael. Yes, that is the case. They've had, uh, there was a pilot scheme run for the last two years. Um, funded by a number of organisations, we can tell you about them in a minute. Um, and through that, it was uh, discovered that a simple measure such as putting a bus in place would actually secure the education for kids who are at risk of discontinuing in education. Um, in two years, the turnaround has been absolutely astounding. Um, we've heard from one educator who said that in over 15 years of school management, they have never seen an initiative that worked with the success that this has worked. Uh, with and now the kids are finishing school on the 31st of May mm. with no no bus to get them to school. Uh, and uh, the reason kilometer round trip. The, well, the technical reason is that the school is too near, isn't it? 
to, no, no, um, well, I suppose in terms of the school transport system that's run by the Department of yes. Education, mm. there's a criteria in that it's 4.8 kilometres for a child to be eligible yes. for that scheme. Uh, and the school and is the, less than that. It's too near. It's 4.7 kilometres. Well, the school is, no, it's 4.2. But the oh, reality okay. of it is, is that still requires those children to have to walk an 8.4 kilometre round trip each day, which takes them approximately an hour and 50 minutes. Or right. now in 40 minutes. That's before they get to school. Do you know what I mean? A yeah. 50 minute walk before they get to school in our Irish weather means they're coming into school and they're not school ready. They're tired, they're worn out, they're exhausted. They maybe don't have all the materials because it makes the bag too heavy. Um, they maybe haven't had time to stop for a bit of breakfast because they're having to leave the house at 7.30, 7.45 to get into mm. school for 8.45. They'd be in their class at 8.45. That means getting to a locker, etc. beforehand. Um, they, sometimes they'll be sent home from school because they're sodden through and they can't stay in school like that. That's not fair on them. But they've gone to the trouble of trying to get to school and then they get here and they're not school ready. As you um, say, the bus has been available for the last two years. Before that, on occasion at least, children weren't going to school. They were deciding to take the day off themselves. Well, just to give you an example of the figures, pre-2017, when the bus actually came into play, the Sorry, just the bus came into play at that stage. Um, you were looking at a 19.8% absentee rate mm. um, from the school, from the from the kids that we're, we're talking about. Right. And that's gone down to 4.2. Right, that's 4. incredible. 4.2%, yeah. that's huge. Yeah. Not only that, the attainment level is 100%. The transfer from primary school into secondary school and retaining attaining in school is 100%. There have been zero dropouts in the past school year. Right. So these are kids in a in they're at risk of discontinuing education. They're in an area of disadvantage in the town, and they're from going from one desh school to another desh school. It's the designated feeder school. The Department of Education made that decision, mm. but they have no way of getting those children to school right now. What has been happening is Flexibus have been providing an amazing service, and just for their support alone, I, I mean, what they've done and how the school has has enveloped the school completion program that's run by Tusla and funded by Tusla. These kids are getting a bus picked up more or less on their doorstep. The driver knows their name. They know mm. the, the driver. They know their driver's name. They get on the bus outside their door. They're brought to the door of the school. They come in. They're in time to be able to get a bit of breakfast into them. They get time to just chill mm. and relax, get to their locker, and they're ready to start school at a quarter to nine. Uh, is the bus half full every morning or... Uh, do no. they fill uh, they fill the bus six kids there's well sure, three, surely that makes the bus doing one mm. of which does two runs yeah well that surely makes the case in itself does it not absolutely there's kids needed and you know what there's a wider picture as well because these are particular kids that have been identified that need the school transport but there is a mountain of other kids from the area it's not just Talch and Winetown you're looking at all of the greater area the Paddock from Gavin Tower Cork Glen everywhere up there they don't have a secondary school the nearest secondary school to them or all the schools are all in the town or beyond it, which is for both for colleges. They've traversed the town from one side to the other. I mean, the social distractions in that alone for a child who's walking to school is immense. And if a child gets halfway and gets as far as the shopping centre in Navin Town and they're soaked through to the skin, what are they going to do? You tell me what are they going to do. But some of these kids are as young as 11 years of age. They shouldn't have to have that responsibility on their shoulders starting out in secondary school. If the, if the department is going to designate this Beaufort College as the feeder school for school naval one on the other side of the town and they're not going to give them secondary school over there well then they need to make sure they can get to school safely. Okay, and we'll these kids are finishing up. They have no sure assurance of any school transport and you hear the kids saying to themselves they just won't go to school. Okay Sinead, we have to leave it there but thank you indeed for joining us uh, this morning. Sinead Cavanagh, Chair of uh, the Beaufort College Parents Council. 
Michael on the 24th of May, you're being asked to vote in the local and European elections as well as a referendum on divorce. There are 17 candidates contesting the four available seats in the European Parliament in this constituency, the Midlands North West. And in between now and polling day, we're hoping to speak to each of the candidates. Fidelma Healy Eames is an independent candidate and joins us on the telephone today. And a very good morning to you and thank you indeed for joining us here on the programme. I suppose people listening to us will remember you as a... the call and indeed to all the listeners. Uh, well, I suppose our listeners will remember you as a, a Fine Gael senator, uh, but uh, may have thought that you had retired from politics. Why have you decided to run for the European Parliament? Well, indeed, I was a Fine Gael senator up to 2013, and then uh, subsequently, uh, you may recall, we had a parting of the ways when the abortion legislation came before me. I looked for a free vote on that occasion. And it wasn't forthcoming by Fine Gael. So I was, I was expelled. Um, I stepped down from politics in 2016. And I realized, you know, since that I, and I was glad to take that time out actually, just to look again at life with fresh eyes, to look at the positivity that's in life that sometimes you don't see in politics, Michael. But um, I realized I wasn't finished and that I have a lot more to give. That In fact, I, knew, I know now I was pushed. I was, I was pushed out. So why am I running? I'm running because I believe I have more to give. I'm an experienced politician. I was also a former councillor. And I was a member of the, um, the Arachthus European Affairs Committee. So in the course of that work on the European Affairs Committee, I also saw that there's a lot more possible at a European level that Ireland could access that isn't necessarily availed of. Because... Quite simply, our government isn't necessarily putting the robust applications in place. You were elected as a councillor, as you say, in Galway, uh, but uh, you've uh, ran many times in general elections unsuccessfully. Why do you think you may be successful in running for a seat in the European Parliament? Yes, I was unfortunate in some of the general elections, to be honest. In, in 2011, I lost out by 45 votes on the all seats. This is a different election. Um, a European constituency is absolutely huge, Michael. You have 13 counties. It's one and a half million people. It's stretching from the west to the east, from the north right down to the Midlands. Um, I think uh, really what we need to do and what I'm trying uh, attempting to do in the course of this uh, campaign, Michael, is to reach out to people, to listen to their concerns and to look at how and where are the opportunities to, for Europe to match up to their needs. For example, right across the region, we have, we're the poorest of the three European Union constituencies right now in, in Ireland. We have been downgraded from a region, in, from a region that's developed to a region in transition. We've been downgraded by the EU. And that's because we are, per head of capita, earning less than the other two constituencies. You can see this is a trend for everything to go towards Dublin or the larger cities, right? Particularly Dublin-centric by this government. Now, that is a problem because it means then that all of rural Ireland and it means we're losing our talent. We're losing our, our young people because, by right, they have to follow opportunity. They have to make 
make futures for themselves, be it towards Dublin or abroad. Now, what I want to see happening is that we are getting investment into our region so that we can develop our towns and villages, so that we can have... We can have local jobs for local people and to use that talent in our local areas. And now I have discovered a way that that is possible. We are coming up in the next term, and one of the key roles of a European a member of the European Parliament is to decide on budgets, Michael. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a, a programme coming up called Europe, um, Horizon Europe, with a fund of 100 billion euros. And the good news about this fund is it can go direct to the regions based on their business case. And it prioritizes regions that are lagging behind. Now, that's it in a nutshell. In the early 90s, Michael, I came back from America as a young girl. I was was a, a, a teacher over there, just out of college. And one of the reasons I came back was to... I, I'm, an Irish, I'm, I'm Irish fundamentally, and I wanted to give to my own country. I joined a campaign at that time called Save the West, uh, by the, uh, led by the late Paul O'Feal. He was a senator. And his vision for Ireland was to get money direct from the regions and bypass central government and into, into the regions. We need that now just as much as then. Like I was in Dundalk last night and had a, 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 a very helpful walk about there with... Um, the TD, Peter Fitzpatrick, also a former colleague and now independent TD. And, you know, I was saying to, to, to Peter, mm. and we met many people in the course of that walkabout and heard about local concerns in the area. I said to Peter, if I was to get investment into this region right now for you, where would you spend it? How would you spend it? And he said, I want to see the heart of the town developed. We have lovely, it's, it's really, there's a nice regeneration program going on there, but businesses have left the centre of the town. We need a lived centre. You've got to have business back there. Peter Fitzpatrick. uh, We can develop these smart towns mm -hmm, and villages with some of these programs. And there's really good examples of this, Michael. Look at the way Cornwall has done it, for example. Okay, but uh, Peter Fitzpatrick parted ways with Fine Gael for the same reason as you, uh, legislation uh, on abortion. Uh, Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, later than you, uh, in 2013, uh, when you were expelled, as you put it, uh, you helped form the Reform Alliance with Lucinda Creighton. why are you not standing for Renewa? Well, I actually never joined Renewa, Michael. Um, you, you are correct about Reform Alliance. Reform Alliance was a group of seven of us that at the time were expelled mm. and we wanted to see reform. Reform in how money was spent, reform in how decisions were made, you know, reform across the public service. But, you, but, but the point here is that you bring Fine Gael values to this, minus uh, abortion. If people believe in Fine Gael values in terms of the candidates uh, they choose, but also believe in abortion, should they not choose one of the Fine Gael candidates over Fidel Mahili Eames? Well, I, well, obviously I disagree because... Um, you know, my values would be very much pro-enterprise with a strong social justice wing, but I'm de- I am fundamentally pro-life. And what that means is I, I treat all people uh, with human dignity. And I, I don't believe in, in leaving people lying on trolleys for 28 and 48 hours. 
I, I am total, it's a total moral question the way we're dealing with people around housing. Let me tell you this. When the banks needed bailing out, we bailed them out. Mm. What are we doing around the housing emergency? Right now, Michael, we have as well as 10,000 people homeless in our country. And I met with people yesterday in Dundalk who are helping ex Soldiers who are homeless. Mm. And Fidel and what about what is Fine Gael doing for them? And you have one of the, the most powerful politicians elected as an MEP right on your doorstep with 15 years of history. Mm. And Fidelma Healy Eames was a member of Fine Gael in 2008 at the time of the banking guarantee and at the time that we continued to bail out the banks and paid the bondholders and uh, allowed for the housing crisis to take hold. Sorry, said that is, sorry, I missed that point there, Michael. Well, the point is very simple. Uh, you were part of Fine Gael, part of, uh, you represented uh, the, the, the government, you were a government party representative uh, at the time of these problems that you uh, now condemn the party for. Yeah, I certainly was, but hold on, we weren't in, go- Fine Gael wasn't in government in 2008. It was, that was a Fianna Fáil government. That's right, yes, we uh, were, and the guarantee was supported by Fine Gael. It was, it was, and mm. that was on the advice at the time. And come here, I am the first to say, I have learned a lot. And when you're in a party, by and large, and I think this is something that listeners are often very keen to know, by and large, you're, the first person you're serving is the party instead of the people. So I've made a decision. For me, two is enough in a bed, not three. I'm, in, I'm happy to be here to serve the people. I am no longer a creature of government, Michael. And it gives me a very independent, strong voice. It helps me challenge. It helps me challenge where I know. It helps me work with okay. Aractus members where I know it's wise to work with them. Okay. It's the best deal. It's the best and deal you're the asking people to vote for you as an independent. Our time has unfortunately run out, but thank you indeed for your time and for joining us here on the And thank you very thank much, you very Michael, much. for the opportunity to engage with listeners in your, in your catchment area. Our pleasure. Thank you. Fidelma Healy Eames, independent candidate in the European Parliament elections for the Midlands North West constituency. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. On the 24th of May, you'll be asked to vote in the local and European elections, as well as a referendum on divorce. Our local election pre-election coverage will feature debates with candidates from each of the local areas every day in the run-up to polling day. We hope to speak to as many local election candidates as possible. The larger political parties have selected which candidates to put forward or asked LMFM to select candidates by holding draws, while independents and others are being chosen to participate through draws. Today we'll hear from four candidates in the Drogheda urban electoral area, each of whom will hope to take one of the six available seats. After the break we'll debate the issues with Richie Culham of Fine Gael, Anthony Murr, who's a Fianna Fáil candidate, Gus MacDonald of People Before Profit and Maria McCabe, who is a candidate for the Renewa Party. Michael Michael Reed on on LMFM. Now, as I said uh, before the break, we've uh, four candidates in uh, the Drogheda urban area with us uh, today. Richie Culhane of uh, Fine Gael, Anthony Moore of Fianna Fáil, Gus MacDonald of People 
before profit and to Maria McCabe of Renewa. Uh, just one councillor, uh, but he's fading and fading badly. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> you, you, we were talking about your posters uh, with Kevin Doyle. Uh, what were you saying to me there? It's something to do with UV protection on them or something? Is yeah, the, 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 the printers failed to put UV protection on them, so they, so they faded You look uh, ghostly. Very badly. You know I know, I know, I know, I know. It, it looks awful, but uh, I'm sure people are probably thinking that I use the old posters that were probably in, in a shed <laughs> yeah, for the last yeah, five yeah. years. But no, unfortunately, and it's the same all over the country, there's a lot of posters that are fading, but I'm sure people will probably mm. recognise me anyway, even through the... Would you not burn out? It's better to burn out than it is to fade away. Well, you know, in 2014 when I was mayor, yeah. I burned out, but uh, it's it's uh, hopefully people will recognise right, the posters yeah. anyway, Michael. Okay, and that's Richie Kilhan. Uh, let's uh, talk to some of uh, the non-elected candidates with us uh, to begin with. Uh, Gus MacDonald of People Before Profit. Uh, perhaps uh, you'd explain to us why you've decided to put your name forward and why People Before Profit. Well, first of all, um, I was selected by People Before Profit. I was asked a number of times uh, if I would like to go forward. Uh, took a lot of consideration and eventually decided it was probably something that I was going to do. Um, the reason People Before Profit is because I believe, like, um, if anyone's seen any of my stuff, they'll, they'll understand that I believe the Labour Party's left us behind. And that consequently, um, People Before Profit are now at the forefront of the Labour movement. And so that's that's where I see myself as being. OK, uh, Maria McCabe, uh, you come from a, a very different perspective, uh, I gather. Tell us a, a little bit about yourself and why you've decided to stand for Renewa. Um, I'm Marie McCabe and I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm from Drogheda and the reason why I went in for um, to be with Renewa are, is because they have a great emphasis on the disability issues and my, being in like in a wheelchair myself I have a lot of um, like opinions on what needs to be done in Drogheda um, um, to do with like accessibility and things like that so right. and there is a lot of things that needs to be done accessibility wise in Drogheda and I think people may know you as a, a campaigner for accessibility indeed uh, you were in the studio and on television uh, yes. as a result in the past exactly mm-hmm. and even there yesterday I was coming home from town and cars are still parking on the footpath mm. and I was like this is why I'm going in to be mm. in the Loud County Council yeah. and and this is why I went in for Renewa mm. is because they have a great emphasis on disability. Yeah, we were just talking with the National Council for... Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The blind yesterday about exactly that issue and other related issues uh, such as dog poo and uh, election posters uh, for that matter and the problems that people uh, can unintentionally cause for other people who have uh, maybe not the same ability as others. Exactly. All right. Uh, Anthony Murr, uh, it's not the first time uh, you've put your name forward, is it? Uh, Well, it's the first first time for local elections. Mm -hmm. I put my hat hat in the ring previously for uh, the Fianna Fáil selection conventions back in 2015 and back last year in 2018. But this is my first run out, Mm. uh, Michael. uh, Why is that, do you think? Uh, Have they run out of suitable candidates? I know, Michael. I'm a very (laughs) resilient guy and uh, I'm going to make sure that the voice of Drogheda is heard loud and clear. I mean, look, I'm a a Drogheda guy myself. Mm. I'm born and bred in the town from the North Road. I'm a son of Mona and Michael. Moore, who'd be well known. My poor parents are deceased now, you know. Mm. Um, but I put my hat in the ring because, uh, as a person who's, you know, as I say, drawn to born and bred, has always lived in the town. I'm really sick and tired, like many of the people I meet across the town, uh, of how Drogheda is treated as a second-tier city or a second-tier town Mm. in comparison with other towns and cities around the country. Well, there's only one councillor here. Is it his fault? I think the councillors have to take their uh, share responsibility for what happened over the last five years. I mean, Mm. we've seen five years of drift, decline and decay in Drogheda. And we see now that the chickens are coming home to roost here, uh, particularly in the area of crime and policing, Mm. where the neglect that we've seen and the lack of an effective voice... And uh, you think that's Richie's fault, do you? I think Richie has to be uh, held accountable for that, and that's what I'm here to do. Um, you know, why is it that, you know, for example, in our own county, we have less Gardaí than Dundalk, even though we're a bigger town? I mean, you know, I issued a, a statement there during the week with the uh, City Status Committee. Uh, and when you look at Drogheda and you take into account East Mead, we have a, a bigger population almost than Waterford. Yet mm. Waterford has twice the number of Gardaí that we have in Drogheda and East Mead. So we're uh, under-resourced by about half here uh, in the town of Drogheda and East Mead. And these are the things that need to change. And that's okay. what I'm all yeah. about. All right. Uh, the minister says it has no thing to do with him. Is it anything to do with you, Richie Kilham? Well, I've, I've been in Drogheda for 40 years and I came to Drogheda, as you know, Mike, um, as a guard. Uh, and I've, I have seen uh, crime increase in the town exponentially over the years. Um, and, uh, you know, Michael can, you know, point the finger at me. Um, if my record stands for itself, um, and sometimes I went against party policy by criticising uh, the fact that we didn't have enough Gardaí in this town. Um, I've been on National Airways, I've been on your show so many times talking about crime and the need to properly resource on Gardaí Shikana in this town, the biggest town in Ireland. I stand by that, and I've, I, as I said, I have been very, very vocal all along, to the extent that I have met the Minister for Justice, I have met the Taoiseach, I have met the Tanishta, and I have met uh, the Minister for Justice. Is everybody happy that uh, we're living in a, a town now where Gardaí are uh, amongst us uh, with lethal weapons, as the Minister put it? I think it's a necessary evil, Michael, unfortunately. Yeah. We have a lot of armed Gardaí in the town at the moment, and that's basically is because of the feud that's going on, and everybody knows about that. It's well publicised. However, um, you know, they are a necessary evil, unfortunately. Um, they have to be there. But they are getting on top of the situation. And, I, uh, you know, I, I guarantee you that uh, in a few months' time, they will certainly ha- have made inroads into this feud that's going on, that's causing serious disruption within mm. our town.
town. Would anybody but, be happy to see the back of them? The guards, that is, the armed guards. Um, well, I'm not saying I'd be happy to see the back of them. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'm saying is that I think really we're, we're dealing with the effects rather than the cause of all this. And the cause of all this is that people uh, feel the need to take drugs to escape their mundane, desperately uh, you know, stressful lives. Mm. And that all comes back to the policies of Fianna Gael, Fianna Fáil, Labour, whereby they have basically uh, cut back on services, the austerity policies. Like what? Like, like what service? Well, every, every service just about in the town has been cut back. Like mm-hmm. if you want to look at, well, mm-hmm. if you look at the health service, there's been cutbacks in that. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the, the lack of uh, Gardaí mm-hmm. and, uh, sorry, the Dundalk having mm-hmm. far more Gardaí than Drogheda, and now we're trying to even that out. The reality is, you can even out, and, and as uh, do you, you said do, yourself... But, but, uh, but, like, but are you telling me that if... Um, you didn't have to wait on a, a trolley uh, to be admitted to hospital, uh, that you wouldn't take a line of coke tonight? I'm telling you now, right, that the vast majority, and there's been experiments mm. done on this, like, uh, you know, by far better qualified people than myself, mm. but I'm telling you that um, if you look at people's lives, right, and uh, the austerity uh, policies, people are Very desperate well to off. escape. Very well off. I'm sorry, what is? People are today. People are very well off. Yeah. Not, not where I'm coming from. Far not better the doors off. I'm going far, to. Yeah, well, I can far, tell you that right now. For, go, go knock some of the doors that we've been knocking on, and mm. I guarantee you, you'll, you'll find out that people aren't uh, in, in great shape, mm. really. Do you not think they're in better shape than they'd have been in the 80s or the 70s myself. or the 60s or the 50s? Sorry, I missed that there. Do you not think that they're in better shape, uh, that they're better well off than they would have been in it depends. the 80s, That's 70s, it's 60s, 50s? If, if you look at it this way, like mm-hmm. uh, I'm a construction worker and I can tell you I'm 125 uh, euros a week less than I was earning 10, 12 years ago. Yeah. So how, how can I possibly be better off? I know that technology moves along, but unfortunately we have a... It, we have a, a, um, a, a kind of a political class and a, a, a capitalist class mm-hmm. that seem to think that when every time a, a working man comes out with an invention to make things better for himself, mm. that instead of that, what we do is we lose one of the men mm. and, we, and we usurp the idea behind the actual invention. Mm. Like, so the reality is but, that society is but we live, we, we, live into, we, we live into our 80s now rather than dying when we're 60 or 50. Not because, in construction, you don't. Well, <laughs> I hope you do. Uh, because... Uh, our houses are insulated and we're warmer and we're more comfortable. We eat better, we have better diets and so on. Uh, the world has never been better than it is today. Uh, I'm not sure about uh, the distribution of wealth compared to previously, but there was far less money. Uh, and I think it could be argued, I'm not sure if anybody would agree, could it be argued that, that these excuses are, are being put forward to justify uh, the behaviour of people? When you say excuses, Michael, like what do you mean? Well, well Gus is saying that uh, people are struggling and that's why they take drugs and uh, that, that then leads to criminality. I wouldn't say just that. It does lead to criminality in mm. the sense that... Do you if, think people if are you taking drugs poverty, because they enjoy them? If you come from a background of poverty and the only way you can make money mm. is through... You know, there's this, lots of, lots of wealthy people well, taking drugs. I went, I went into the poorest places in Dublin as a, when mm. I was working as a girl mm. for the, you know, Ballymun and very, mm. very uh, poverty, impoverished yeah. areas. And, you know, 99% of the people in those areas mm. work hard. They, 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 try, they try to get by. Now, I'm not saying that everything is rosy in the garden, mm. but I think it's an attitude. I think that we have a sense, we, we have a sense now of uh, entitlement almost mm. uh, uh, brought about by, you know, 
but, uh, but about so many things. But I mean, I don't think that it's an excuse for people to go out and take drugs. Um, I, I certainly the, the finest people who live. Well, maybe in you don't. Need, maybe you don't need an excuse to take drugs. Maybe you just want to take drugs. Well, that's obviously. I no. mean, it's a personal choice in relation yeah. to that. Uh, and in some of the wealthiest areas in the country, people are taking drugs all of the Absolutely. time. Absolutely. And does anybody Absolutely. think that we should legalize drugs? I do. I certainly think we need to decriminalise certain drugs. We need to look at a totally new policy. I think Portugal are leading the way in that regards. They've halved addiction to, you know, halved HIV, all the rest of it, off the back of a different policy which has decriminalised it, stopped treating addicts as though they are criminals. And certainly the, the gateway like drugs, patients. yeah, I, I, I wouldn't have a problem legalising uh, the softer drugs, but certainly the harder Anthony drugs. Anthony Murrow, what are your No, I'm not in favour of legalising drugs. I mean, we see Richie there saying, you know, in favour... Do you drink? In, in so far as, I take a drink, of course yeah, I do. Sure. Yeah, sure. Is that not worse well, than... Richie Dare's that's the, great, that's the greatest drugs. problem, okay. alcohol yeah. in this country. Mm. I mean, I saw a uh, mm. uh, film there recently about uh, a man uh, whose son uh, got uh, very hooked on cannabis. That was a gateway drug for him. Uh, the poor guy lost his life. He went on to become a heroin addict. So I don't agree with that. I mean, we've often heard Why people say... Why did he say, become a heroin addict? Where did I he mean, get the heroin? Well, Michael, you know where he w- would have got it. He mm. would have got it off drug dealers, probably the type of people who sold well, him I, the cannabis uh, in the, well, in the I, initial I think pages. alcohol is more addictive than cannabis. Uh, so if alcohol was illegal and he was going down the lane to buy his alcohol, would he not have been introduced to heroin that way? You know, I mean, I've so had. Should a, we not I, I, I don't get. I don't get people offering me heroin when I go to Tommy Henry's. No, because it's that, licensed. You know, because, because it's licensed. I, I'm going in there to have a drink, mm. uh, like many other That's people. That's the question. Should you license? Uh, have a good bit of time. Should you license cannabis so that you're not offered heroin? Saturday. No, because I mean, you know, if you look, for example, at Holland last year, uh, the Dutch police uh, commissioned an internal report which was leaked to the media, and they said that the legalisation of drugs in Holland has had a huge impact on uh, crime in that country, and not in a good way. They said the police themselves in Holland said that Holland is now at risk of becoming a narco state like you see in Mexico, like you see in places like Colombia, all because they said drugs were legalised in Holland and it leads to a light touch being taken not just in relation mm. to drugs but also in relation to many other types of criminality too. Well and they're the legalising cannabis all over the United States. Uh, what do you think of it Marie McCabe? Do you think that there's any argument? I mean if you didn't have the uh, criminality associated with the drugs. If you didn't have the drugs, you wouldn't have the criminality. So, uh, I mean, is there an argument for the sake of society to give people what they want? Well, I think with like certain drugs, like for cancer patients, like who are terminally ill, like maybe it should be legalised. But in other cases, no. Mm-hmm. Can, can I just say that, uh, the the money? that you could generate from this if we did it right like you know and I'm not saying that we just throw open the gates and let's have a go mm. I'm saying you know do it right like unfortunately um, our government and the governments previous to that they never really looked at this um, if you want to go back to when the war on drugs was declared it was almost lost then and then we ne- we, it was totally underfunded from the start there was no real understanding of what it was they were trying to fight and the reality is, as, as far as I can see, a lot of it, I'm not saying all of it, but mm-hmm. a lot of it comes down to the fact that people don't have a quality of life and they seek escape. And that's where they're seeking their escape. Nancy Reagan's campaign work, was just say no. Uh, and it's Donald Trump uh, now who uh, holds uh, the highest office in the country that's uh, legalising cannabis. It's odd, Richie Callan, isn't it? It is. But I mean, if you go to many states in America, it's already legalised for mm. your personal use. And I mean, you know, Gus is, Gus is right. You know, I mean, there's the government are taking huge taxes from the legalisation of softer drugs. Um I think that there is an argument. There is an argument that has to be debated, and I don't think we've had a proper argument in this country in relation to that. You know, um, if when you when you talk about um, 
you talk about Amsterdam, uh, which is the capital, mm. the capital, uh, uh, drug, the drugs capital probably of Europe. Um, they're making huge inroads into serious social problems that they've had um, and have done over the over the years by legalizing cannabis. And I'm not I'm talking about cannabis for a very small quantities of cannabis for legal use. People are going to use cannabis regardless of whether it's legalized or not. And my argument is that if you legalize it and and uh, um, you know, you 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 tax it. You take the gunmen and you take the criminals out of it, who are causing absolute mayhem to mm. families right throughout this country and all over the world by you know uh, creating major debt for for families, uh, intimidating uh, young okay. young people. You know, there there is an argument, and I think that we have to have that debate. And I think the sooner rather than later. Because Just on the subject of Donald Trump, uh, do you think uh, he should be welcomed here, or should uh, Louth County Council make a, a statement? Personally, and I speak. I speak mm. absolutely personally. Everybody has their own opinion on Donald Trump. Mm. I don't welcome Donald Trump to come to this mm. country. I think that he has... Should that be stated by Loud County Council? Well, if, if Loud County Council decide to do that, I well, would certainly support I mean, it. Um, I, I don't, I don't agree with Would you put forward a motion here. of that sort? I would seriously consider it, Michael, mm. yeah, because, I mean, if, if you look at his record and, you know, the number of serious lies that he has told over the years to the, to the, to the American people, he has made this world a much more dangerous place. Mm. America now is the target for so many people because he has targeted so many uh, countries around the world who were heretofore uh, mm-hmm. you know, they're allies of the of the of, of the Maria, US. you're nodding there you don't like the idea of him coming here obviously he's right Ray Ritchie is right mm-hmm. and like his views on different things like I just don't agree mm. if you were elected to the council what message do you think Louth County Council should send to the White House Elect a better president. <laughs> what about Joe Biden, a loud man? Okay. Absolutely. But I tell you what, Michael, you know, we've talked about drugs and we're talking about Donald mm. Trump. You know, these are not the issues that I see coming up on the doorsteps. I mean, I've been all around the town. Housing is a massive issue. Mm-hmm. When I leave the studio here today, I'm going to go down and see Dara O'Brien TD, who's coming down. He, Fianna Fáil's uh, local government yeah. housing spokesman. He's coming down to meet me. So I'm going to take him around and show him where the Port Access Northern Cross route is going to be. Um, because he's got a great interest in that and if he's uh, a minister in future for that area he's going to push Mm -hmm. that forward but for the sake of 15 million we don't have the port access northern cross route again why the council have sat in their hands for the past five years in relation to that if that road went ahead five years yes past five years well longer than that but I mean I'm talking about the current council who are now standing Uh, since 2002 as we know yeah Um, and 4,000 houses as we know are on the why is that because funding wasn't made available from central government 300 million in funding was was available from central government last year Michael who was in government in 2002 Last year, Michael, three hundred million. Fine Gael had three hundred million to yeah. splash around Fianna Ireland, Fianna and they couldn't cross uh, when, the crumbs from when, uh, the table. When, when, when Daryl O'Brien comes com, com, comes to Drogheda, will, yeah. will, will you show? Three billion on will, the broadband, will, Michael. Will, 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 you, will you outline? One point seven billion on the National Children's okay. Hospital. They can't tell, give us tell, fifteen tell, million here tell, in Tell me when you're finished. It's disgraceful. Tell me when you're finished. The listeners know, Michael. Government Fine Gael are wasting money. They're not going to finish, and they are just not prepared to give us the crumbs from the table. I'll ask the question anyway. Mm. Um, you're going to show Dara O'Brien yeah. the legacy of Fianna Fáil's failure to build houses. It's not a legacy. Fianna Fáil have a proud track record of building houses. People can throw a lot of criticism at Fianna Fáil, but I tell you what, one thing they can't mm. criticise as far as building houses. Oh, really? We built them the length breadth of this country from the 1930s onwards, mm. and people so, had a roof I over their heads. And as I go around this and town, when did you start and I'm talking them? to people who are facing when did skyrocketing rents, when did you start building them and introduce Part 5 Outrageous. of the Planning Act you know? uh, and look to the private market to and, provide houses? And there's 4,000 houses on the plans in the Northern Cross 
why, why and, and will it not go ahead? Because Fine Gael, Labour and the independents Michael. that they've been in coalition with since 2011 will not give Drogheda 15 million. Maria uh, McKay, Maria uh, hasn't had a, a, yeah. an awful lot of time. What, what are your thoughts on housing? Because it, it is such a huge issue. Housing, um, see, there is a lot of homelessness in, like, in Drogheda. Like, I'm always on the town mm. and I see a lot of people sleeping on the streets. It's the 21st century. Mm. People should be sleeping on the streets. And what, what about accessible housing? Is it all the more difficult for somebody who has a disability? Um, me being in a wheelchair who is independent, mm. there is no independent houses that for people who are in, independent who have disabilities in Drogheda. There is houses for people with disabilities who are independent and that are um, accessible down the country. Why isn't there any here? Mm. This is why I'm so passionate about this. And if elected into local um, county council, in, well, into the Loud County Council, I would love to see accessible housing in Drogheda mm-hmm. for people who are independent and who have disabilities. Mm. Well, everybody would love to see housing. How, how would you uh, achieve it, uh, Gus MacDonald? Well, now, uh, there's something I mm. have. Uh, we've got a knowledge on being a construction worker, mm. as I am. Um, well, we, uh, and people before profit, uh, and through the campaigns that I've been doing, we've been looking at a number of different ways, especially like we're looking at Donahue's Mill there in particular, um, and other buildings around the town, bigger buildings, There, we would be looking to uh, join in a few different things because at present, construction is hemorrhaging its uh, uh, experienced, skilled men. And at the same time, we can't attract the, the kind of youth, uh, the, the apprentices that we uh, were. They're totally fallen, um, like uh, uh, plasterers. There are 17 plasterers doing, uh, for the whole country, serving their apprenticeship. That's what we have now. And this is where uh, it's been driven by developers. It's been driven by a policy that has totally sold itself to the market. It hasn't seen any other possibilities. Mm. And I think what we need to do now is we need to look back. It's not that far uh, past mm. that we, we looked at councils building houses far more successfully. But you'd fund it now. by taxing the middle classes. Well, we t- fund it by taxing the very top of society, mm. the guys who are actually creaming off uh, mm. you know, vast profits, as we can see with the children's hospital, we can see with broadband. I mean, one day they say it's $3 billion, and the next day it's $5 billion. I mean, it's totally ridiculous. At the end of the day, if you want to really save money, uh, and I'll give you a prime example of it now, we're going in for these PPP, the public-private uh, partnerships in uh, building, con- you know, constructing our, our homes of the mm. future, homes that are basically the developer gets a grant off the government the government, you know, they put that money towards building uh, these homes that they own. They lease them back to the government, and in 25 years' time, they can kick whoever's out of that, uh, in them houses out because they take them houses back. It's their houses. And we're funding this. It's six times more expensive to do this than it would be to have direct employment through the mm. county council providing the houses. We need. It's one of the great Fine Gael failings, isn't it, Richie? Well, you know, I mean, I go back to, 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 to what Michael said. At a time when we had unprecedented money, uh, sorry, Anthony, uh, we had unprecedented money in the coffers of the Exchequer. Uh, Fianna Fáil built nothing. Uh, but what they did was they employed and they, they, they created a situation for their friends who made vast, vast profits on the back of the Irish people. And we will suffer as a result of that for years to come and young people who cannot buy houses. So, Anthony, you know, people have short memories maybe, but I'd just like to remind them 
them that that is why we are in the okay. situation that we're in. Now, All if right. I could just say that twenty six, there's a twenty six percent increase from government this year, which is, amounts to two point four billion. Do you want to draw uh, there, of, of well, I hope we get a share nothing, of that. Uh, I hope nothing. we get a share of that. And I'll certainly mm, be canvassing or, or lobbying to see that we do. But that will create twenty seven thousand, uh, almost twenty seven and a half thousand ho- uh, households, which is nowhere near enough. Which is uh, nowhere uh, near as enough. As we know, we and I, I have to stop there because yeah. our time has run out. Uh, and uh, before we go, I'm just going to ask you all to wrap up. So maybe you'd continue, but briefly, just uh, to uh, pitch uh, your uh, stall to our listeners uh, to conclude, uh, Rich Kilhan of Finnegan. Okay, well, I've been a councillor uh, since 2009. Uh, I've served the people of Drogheda, I think, well. I think one of my main achievements was in 2014 when I went to San Francisco uh, to meet the founders of Yapstone, uh, who had a very small, maybe three or four people working in the town, against all advice with one of the council and councillor Cal. Kevin Callan, indeed. Uh, we just sat down for five hours with their with their board, and uh, two months after that, we offered them certain things from the council. Two months after that, uh, they made an announcement that they were going to make Drogheda their European hub, which is fantastic. And they now employ almost 400 people. We need more jobs in this town to stop the 10,000 people that leave this commuting every morning to work. Okay. And we need to we need to build on that. Okay. Anthony Moore of Fianna Fáil. Well, Michael, my message to your listeners here today in Drogheda are that uh, is that Drogheda gets nothing. Others get everything. And it's about time we fought back. And that's why I'm asking people uh, to vote for me. I'm a new candidate, a new voice for Drogheda. Um, I'm a barrister of 20 years' experience. I'm used to arguing a case for people and usually getting good results for them, I have to say. Um, and that's what I want to do uh, if I'm elected to Loud County Council on behalf of our town. I've represented Ireland in the European courts, but now what I want to do is represent the people of Drogheda and our great town of Drogheda on Loud County Council. We need to be advocating for city status. If we get city status, we will get a slice of the pie that the other five cities in Ireland are getting at present. Between now and 2040, the government is going to spend half its money on the cities, and instead of that money going to Drogheda, we're lumped into some ridiculous kind of mishmash with Dundalk and uh, Newry, uh, what they call a linear city. That has to stop. We need to see progress, as I said, on housing with the Northern Cross route. That's something that I will be very forcefully advocating if I'm elected to the council. And we need to end the discrimination that we see um, against Drogheda. If you take, for example, Dundalk, they've got cheaper parking, they've got parks and rides, the ratepayers up there are paying less than they are in Drogheda. This is a scandal. And it's about time that the people of Drogheda rose up and said enough is enough. OK, thank you, Anthony Moore. Uh, and uh, the renewal candidate with us is Maria McCabe. Um, well, my message for Drogheda would be, if if elected to the Loud County Council, I will make sure that Drogheda is w- accessible for everyone, not just for people with disabilities, but for everyone, people who are older, people who have young families. And I will make sure that there's jobs coming into Drogheda. As Richie said, there there has to be more jobs coming into the town for people so they don't have to commute. And I will make sure that there's housing for people who have young families who and for people who have disabilities who so there's accessible housing for everyone. And I will make sure that um the youth of Drogheda are also looked after as well. Very good. Uh, Gus MacDonald of People Before Profit to conclude. Um, well, if I get elected, basically what you'll be getting is uh, you'll be getting a working man going in to the council chambers, a blue-collar worker representing blue-collar interests. Um, I'd be challenging the establishment. I'm not trying to say that I'll be the guy who changes everything. I, I can't. I'm one person. But what I can do is I can go in there as an activist, not a politician. I'm not pretending to be one. 
um, and uh, I'll be going in there to cause as much um, or gain as much as uh, we can for the people of Drada, the working people of Drada. Okay, very good. Our debate, like all the debates, has been on Facebook Live. If you want to nod to your supporters there, whilst we wrap up with thanks to Richie Culhane of Fine Gael, Anthony Murray of Fianna Fáil, Gus MacDonald of People Before Profit, and Maria McCabe of the Renewa Party. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns uh, joins us with some of uh, the calls and text messages that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael, and good morning to everybody listening in. A couple of comments in relation to the debate on the, from the Drogheda urban area. John says he was listening in and someone said that there's no social housing due to Fine Gael and Labour. He says, do they forget the Fianna Fáil are propping up the government now, Michael? Have you forgotten that? Although you did mention Fianna Fáil fairly well, now, I'll have to say. But anyway, like. not currently, according to John. Whenever I could get a word in, yeah. <laughs> he, John says there's no point in candidates playing the blame game. They have to work together. No point in sitting in a studio throwing blame around. They all have to take responsibility for it. Okay. Uh, Michael, I'm listening in in relation to housing. It's it's a huge issue and the current government, I feel, are not doing enough in relation to providing social housing in Drogheda. I also think your guest has a good point in relation to making housing accessible for all, particularly those who have disabilities. So that's okay. just two in yeah. so far. Okay, very good. Uh, yeah. Another John from me that was in touch in relation to um, the crime that we were discussing earlier on mm. and, and then we were discussing during this debate, but this came in following your interview at the top of the show with Declan uh, Bernard TD and he was listening to the points being made uh, in relation to crime in Drogheda and Dundalk and he said it's all very well and good talking about getting criminals off the street but what about when they are in prison he said that gangs in prison are as robust as they are outside and more needs to be done to protect prison officers the whole criminal system needs to be looked at and he thinks that it's high time that representatives started to look beyond the street and gave prison officers the support they need Okay very good. Hold that thought for a moment though if you would please uh, Marie uh, because we're going to Talbot Street in Dublin where the annual wreath laying ceremony will take place uh, to commemorate uh, the Dublin Monaghan bombings. It's 45 years ago believe it or not since a bomb went off in Talbot Street in the middle of rush hour traffic at half five on the 17th of May 1974. A bomb had gone off two minutes previously on Parnell Street another bomb went off two minutes later on Lancer Street and just uh, an hour and a half after the first bomb, uh, a fourth bomb went off in Monaghan. It resulted in the biggest loss of life, the worst day of the Troubles on this island. 34 people, including an unborn baby, died. And Margaret Irwin, coordinator with uh, the Justice for the Forgotten Group, joins us this morning. Good morning to you, Margaret, and thanks for joining us. Uh, Obviously, uh, a very important day in the lives of all of the families involved and a lot of people to remember today and a lot of people will be attending, including the Minister for Justice. That's right, yes. Well, the commemoration each year is very, very important to the families, and uh, we believe that it's a a great solace to them and a comfort, especially since it's recognised by uh, people like the um, Taoiseach and the Minister for Justice and also by the Lord Mayor of Dublin. Uh, The Lord Mayor, um, Niall Ring, will be laying a wreath so will the Minister for Justice, Charlie Flanagan, and the Cahirlock of Monaghan County Council. 
David Maxwell. And uh, there was also a wreath laying this morning in Monaghan at nine o'clock, and I believe there was a very good crowd there. I'm in Talbot Street now, and uh, hopefully we're going to see a large crowd here come out and stand in solidarity with the families who have been waiting 45 years to get to the truth of what happened or to get some form of justice. Uh, and your group uh, has been together since 1996. It's been a, a very long battle for justice for the forgotten, uh, which uh, is why you've called the group that, because you don't want those who lost their lives to be forgotten. Can you believe yourself, Margaret, this morning that it's 45 years ago since 1974 and that fatal day? Yes, it's uh, the years have gone so quickly. And yes, it's absolutely amazing to think that it's 45 years. And uh, it's actually, of course, as you said, we came together in 1996 and we actually held our first commemoration here uh, in 1999. And uh, Michael Donegan from the Ludlow family actually has put up a photograph this morning on Facebook of that commemoration. It's a photograph from the Irish Times of 20 years ago. And uh, as I say, that was our very first commemoration and we've held the annual commemoration every uh, year since. Today we have uh, delivering the oration uh, a woman called Julianne Campbell and she is one of the Bloody Sunday relatives and her uncle Jackie Duddy was uh, a young boy of 17 who was killed on Bloody Sunday and I think it's Jackie who's in the iconic uh, image of with uh, the then father Daly holding the white handkerchief So we're looking forward to Julianne's delivering the oration today. You don't uh, expect that anybody will ever be convicted uh, for the atrocity now known as uh, the Dublin Monaghan bombings. Uh, I think you conceded that uh, some time ago, but uh, you do want it to be known what happened and who was involved and who knew what, when and so on. Uh, But as the years go on and uh, time ticks on, does hope fade? Well, I suppose we're always um, we all we're always optimistic. Otherwise, I suppose the families would have given up long ago. Uh, but we keep on hoping that we can get to the truth. Um, most of the families, I think, wouldn't want to see anybody going to prison. What they want is accountability and the truth. And uh, of course, as you know, that we're having to take a civil case against the British government. Uh, in the High Court in Belfast. And again, they dragged their heels on that on the 1st of this month, the 1st of May. And now it has had to be deferred until the 10th of September. And uh, hopefully then we will get to a full hearing because once again, they uh, failed to live up to their commitments. Dates were set out by the court and they failed to uh, comply with that. So again, we've had to have that case put back to September. Okay, Margaret, I've spoken to you on the 17th of May for many years and uh, in the same way that I I said it to you last year and the year before, um, I hope that this time next year uh, there'll be something more positive uh, to say. Uh, But today, a a day of remembrance and solidarity uh, for the people who lost their lives and indeed their families. And thank you indeed for joining us again this year. Thank you very much indeed. Much appreciated. Thank you indeed. Margaret Irwin, coordinator with uh, the Justice 
Christmas for the Forgotten Group. Now let's go back uh, to some more of the comments that have been coming to us, Marie. Yes, Michael, staying with crime, John from Navin phoned in and says that the people who are going to the pubs and the clubs at the weekends and buying drugs are the people responsible for the gang feud that's happening in Drogheda and all over the country. They have it in their hands to stop this. He says stop buying from these pushers and the dealers will lose all their power. It's not up to the Gardaí. It's not up to the politicians. It's up to the people, says John. Okay. We've had one or two comments in relation to your interview regarding the bus, the school bus. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Teresa says, am I right, Michael, that this uh, bus was introduced as a scheme? It proved hugely successful and then they decide to drop it. That just doesn't make sense to her. OK. <laughs> Michael, listening to your interview regarding the loss of the bus, everything I feel should be done to keep the bus going, to keep the children going to school. If they're not at school, they are not getting an education and they're not also being kept occupied and then what will they be doing otherwise mm. the local election candidates should be making this a priority says okay. Derek. Well maybe they will uh, when uh, we hear from them again next week. So I then and we just had one from Marion Trim who says Michael that school bus for the students in Navin is so important to have the pressure needs to be kept on. If I've time for one yep. more just mm-hmm. in relation to your interview regarding ATMs with uh, Deputy Declan Bernock uh, Grania says a lot of businesses with ATMs are very nervous at the prospect of them being targeted mm. as not only are they affected by the robbery itself but the damage that's caused to buildings that uh, often the shops or the businesses affected have to sh- shut down temporarily so there's yeah. a loss of income mm. during that time and just an aside to that Michael good news from Bank of Ireland and Kells is that they've just confirmed this morning that they've replaced that ATM Very so good. that's open for business again okay. so we'll leave it at that right, yes. thanks indeed uh, for that and uh, thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us if you'd like to add to what's been said as always our telephone number is 1850 7155 may pay a visit to Dunbeg, he may pay a visit to Drumoland Castle, he may not pay a visit at all because of a diplomatic row over protocol as to where he might meet the Taoiseach or not as the case may be and he may instead go to Scotland. Peter O'Connell is the editor with the Clare Champion newspaper and he joins us now. Good morning to you Peter and thanks for taking the time to be with us here on the programme. Uh, what are people saying locally? Uh, they're a bit confused, Michael. Definitely. Uh, yeah, uh, Tuesday and, Tuesday and uh, Wednesday, it seemed almost certain that uh, President Trump was was definitely going to visit. Um, back in West Clare, there's there's a lot of excitement. Um, you know, while people definitely wouldn't necessarily share his uh, political views, um, I suppose the, the fact is that Trump Dunbeg does employ 310 people. That's that's the figure at the moment between mm. uh, full and part time jobs. Um, so I suppose from an economic viewpoint, definitely he w- he would be made welcome. But as, as you said there, it, it's kind of up in the air a bit now um, as, as to what's going to happen. It seems that uh, Trump wanted uh, uh, Mr. Bradker to come to Dunbeg and meet him there. And uh, Antusik wants to meet him in Jamal and doesn't want to be seen, I suppose, to be going to the the big house as, as Trump might see it. You know? So there's a bit of a been a bit of negotiation going on there so it's it's kind of um, doubtful and this is the second time this has happened because as, as you remember late last year he was due to come as well and uh, everything was confirmed it was definitely happening and then um, almost overnight 
the the trip was cancelled. So it touch a deja vu, touch of a deja vu about it, Mike. All right, uh, and uh, the uh, property, which is his private property in Dunbeg, uh, is uh, the reason why the protocol is in question uh, as to whether it should be neutral ground, if you like. Uh, but I understand he he bought Dunbeg for fifteen million, and it made around fifteen million, or had a turnover of around fifteen million last year, uh, and is said to be worth twenty five million now. Yeah, and it really has uh, reinvigorated the, the local economy. I mean, Dumbeg, the village of Dumbeg has just got one street. So you're not talking about, um, you know, a big area of population. It's a peripheral area. It's a very beautiful area um, located on, on the Atlantic. Um, it's it's almost as far back um, west as you can go in terms of West Clare. Um The general population of West Clare has been, you know, losing uh, particularly young people over, over the years purely because there's not much work there. You know, there, there's very little long-term sustainable employment. Like a lot of areas around around rural Ireland, uh, broadband um, is, is a massive issue. I mean, it's in, in parts of West Area, you know, you wouldn't even have mobile phone coverage, let alone reliable broadband that you might be able to use for, for work reasons. So, um, and, you know, when the Trump, when the Trump spot them back in 2014, it was, there was a, Big doubt as to as to Dunbeg's long term uh, sustainability. The previous owners had basically run out of money, hadn't reinvested. Mm. Uh, the two owners had been kind of rowing between themselves. So the Trumps did get Dunbeg for um, you know quite quite a good price. But they have invested heavily. They've invested about forty million plus since they've you know spent a lot of money kind of upgrading the the hotel itself. And I, I take it uh, that the speculation uh, that the president was going to visit Dunbeg came about because of fellas in black suits with mm. dark glasses and that sort of thing. Uh, and I understand there's been a, a security sweep in Dromolan Castle as well. Where's your money at this stage? Yeah, I think he's going. I think he's going to visit Michael. Uh, now, whether he comes, um, the initial plan was that he was going to visit twice. He'd, he was going to stay in Dunbeg, then head to uh, France for the 75th anniversary celebrations there, and then head back to Dunbeg again for maybe two more nights. Um, I, w- I would think that he will still come, but it might be for a very short short stay. Um, I suppose, look, in Dunbeg itself, in the West Clare, they see it as an opportunity to, to market the area. Mm. As I said at the start there, you know, he mightn't get too many votes for, for some of his political um, leanings. But but the fact is, and this is what, you know, people constant, constantly say, and it's hard to argue, I mean, he was, you know, democratically elected president of the United States, and uh, the family do own a significant business in, in West Clare, so that's that's primarily the reason that they're very keen for him to come. But uh, uh, undoubtedly he'd uh, attract uh, a fair deal of protesters as well, oh, Peter. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, a lot, a lot of groups have, have made it quite clear that, that they will be protesting. Um, people for profits in Fane, for example, have, have said that. Uh, now, they're also saying that they probably won't head back to West Clare to protest because they feel, well... Uh, the roads are a bit mar- narrow back in West Clare, you know. Um, although it wouldn't take many people to launch a, a big protest because, because uh, the, you know, the area is quite small. But you're probably looking at, in, in Clare terms, you're probably looking possibly at Shannon Airport, mm. possibly at Ennis, maybe a bigger, if there is going to be a bigger protest on a national scale, maybe in Dublin. Um, but I doubt there will be much of a, a protest in, in West Clare. Because uh, and as you say, Peter, I mean, it, it is an opportunity for the area to market itself, to show itself off to the world and quite literally, but will he be welcomed with open arms or through gritted teeth? Well, 
Locally, he will be welcomed definitely with, with, with open arms because there's a lot of people working in Dunbeg, uh, Michael, that honestly wouldn't be living in, in the area if were it not for that employment. I mean, they are the biggest employers in, in West Clare. The second biggest employers at the moment um, is Money Point Power Station and like they've been recently laying off a lot of people, a lot of subcontractors. And there's a bit of a doubt as to uh, people in permanent positions there as well as to their long-term future. So... I mean, people locally look upon the Trump family as as business people first and foremost. But definitely, uh, as regards his politics, as regards some of some of what he's said and done in his time so far as president, like a lot of people, not just in in Clare, but obviously around around the country as well, would have serious reservations about you know being overly welcome to to uh, Donald Trump. Okay. Um, but purely locally in West Clare they kind of look at, look upon the Trumps as business people if, if you like rather than politicians and the speculation continues Peter I have to leave it there good to talk to you though and thank you indeed for joining us here on the programme this morning Peter O'Connell editor with the Clare Champion newspaper brings our programme to its conclusion today indeed for this week thanks to Marie Kearns for producing Ross Leahy for researching and Chris Marie in the control term I'm Michael God willing we'll see you for our next programme on Monday morning at 9am right here on LMFM good morning bye bye LMFM Podcasts, brought to you with Cartman Cross Credit Union, where a student loan can help you finance your further education. Call to Cartman Cross Credit Union, O'Neill Street, or at cartmancrosscu.ie.